you have reached a phone call from Paul. A Literary Hub podcast. To hear more, visit lithub.com. Part 1 of Paul Holden Graber's Conversation with Elif Batuman. Hello, is this Elif Batuman? Yes, hello. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? I, I think I'm alive. It beats the alternatives. Definitely. Tell me, so so I'm I'm as I understand it from 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 a message you sent to me, you actually went out to get a new phone. I did. I, I ordered it from the internet, which I'm not proud of, but I did. But this is the first call. It's not the first call that was made because somebody called and left a voice message. But I don't know who that person is, and you're the only person I gave the number to. So that's oh, how fantastic! So this is this is in fact a pristine, yes. a pristine phone. It's a, yes, it's a pristine landline. Well, so so what made you get the get the phone? not very romantic. I got a wireless DSL and it came with a, you can't just get the DSL, you have to get a landline phone line. And so I had the line, but I didn't have the physical telephone. And then when you asked if I had a physical telephone, I thought the time has come. And do you, do you, do you like the phone? I'm not a huge fan of the phone. No. And I, I sort of enjoyed not having a phone, but, um, I've been having some trouble with the cell phone, and I need it for work sometimes. So I think this is a good—it's a good step. But when you were growing up, oh, when I was growing up, I loved it. I loved it. What do you think happened, Elif, um, with this, with this uh, contraption? I'm—I'm I'm curious about it because I so recall growing up. I—I in so far that that ever happened, I so—I so remember being on the phone and having my parents tell me to get off the phone, partly because it was expensive and partly also because one wasn't supposed to spend too much time on the phone with people who one was anyway going to see in school the next day. And I remember my mother in particular just saying, now, now, it's enough. And I wanted to stay on the phone, a bit like I wanted to read at night under covers in the dark. And I'm I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about what it is that has created in many people, you're not alone, um, an aversion to the phone. Not so strong that when I ask people to be on this phone call from Paul, they say no. I think they find it kind of amusing that we should have this kind of um, series that happens on the phone. It's true. It's true. I had that exact same experience where I would just want to talk to my friends from school and my parents would, I remember my father picking up the phone and saying, you know, it's time to hang up. And yeah, there was this idea that it was, it was excessive and somehow antisocial. And I also felt like there was something about like, what are you talking to? What are you girls talking about anyway? Which I don't know if that was it, it was it was my friends who were all girls and also my aunt, my mother's youngest sister. I would talk to her for hours and hours and hours. And when I think back about those phone calls, it's not that, I don't know, part of it is that those friendships that you have that are so intense or that desperate need to talk to the beloved younger aunt, nothing really substituted that. That's just something I don't, I don't have so much anymore. 
And then insofar as there are those, you know, almost erotically compelling friendships, I feel like they got shifted over to email to the extent that now the phone feels a little bit intrusive and aggressive. It's saying, you know, now we have to talk. It's different. This is a scheduled phone call, which makes it much more appealing. But otherwise, that you're just sitting at home and that, you know, someone is going to say, now is the time that we're going to interact. Once email lets you put it on your own schedule, that starts to feel very imperious and, I don't know. But, you know, they, 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 they are both objects that interrupt us. But with email, you can kind of, like, the, you're not on the spot that exact instant. Even if you can just wait for five minutes so you're no longer, you know, washing your hands or doing whatever you're doing. True. True. Um, but when, the phone, when I hear the phone ring. Yeah. And, and, and the, <laughs> I, I wonder if email and texting has created the aversion for the phone. Yeah, I think that must be true. You know that in in some way, in some way now, um, we are mostly all the time available, but we we don't have to have the the grain of the voice. I mean, a voice is very particular. And you were talking about the erotic quality of of phone calls or of these forms of exchange. Um, it it just has transmigrated to. The written word. I mean, we, we, we hear people saying people don't read very much anymore or people don't, don't write very much anymore. I think probably the contrary is true. I agree. We're you know, writing all the time and reading all the time. I mean, the, the question, of course, becomes what are we reading and what are we writing all the time? But still, we are, we are using words and we're using words to elicit a certain reaction, erotic or otherwise. We're using words to create a certain kind of fervor. But but it is I'm I, I have been perplexed by this and I've been I've been thinking about it and I've been wondering is speaking on the phone too intimate? Or is it not intimate enough? Or what is it about the phone that has made it become nearly exotic? You know, um I, I think I mentioned to you when we spoke last, or if I haven't, I'll say it quickly now, but there's a, a fantastic passage in in A La Recherche du Temps Perdu, Remembrance of Things Past, in, in Proust, where he talks about the initial moments of the phone. Yeah, and yeah, no, that's amazing. When he talks to his grandmother. Do you remember that? Yeah, it's, it's completely... And that she's so close that it makes him feel that she's far away. And in the sound of the person's voice, you can hear how someone could be right next to you and still be separated, and it's a premonition of the final final separation, that the phone call turns into death. Oh, I, I'm, I'm so glad you remember this. I mean, you remember things about it that I don't remember, uh, the, the premonition of death. I don't remember that. I could be making it up, because to me, so many things are a premonition of death. I'm gonna. I'm, I, I would. I would say Proust probably said that. Well, you know, I, what, what I do remember is les dames du téléphone. I do remember that people sort of put you through. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're, it's, they're like these mediums. They're these mediums. They put you through. And also, 
um, uh, do you remember Elif, he talks about hearing the bells of the church ringing and so that in a way by placing a call he's transported nearly in a science fiction kind of way I spoke about this in, on another phone call from Paul with William Gibson who you know in, invented or coined one might say the term cyberspace but but he was just so taken by that he didn't know this passage and i know i know from from bill's extraordinary appetite and curiosity he immediately looked it up and found it but there is something about about distance and proximity and and then distance and proximity and the relationship it might have to I think what you and I like doing so much, which is is reading. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah, I wonder too how much the aversion to the phone is. You know, we have a very small. Well, no, you you talk to all kinds of people. I only talk to like writers mostly. So if writers don't like the phone, I figure it's because writers don't really writers like to write. Like haters are going to hate, and writers are going to write. Right. Right. Um, th- th- this may or may not be true, and it may or may not be fruitful to to speak about it endlessly. But is it true that you 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 only speak to writers? Um. No, not when you're doing reporting, obviously. Oh yeah, for reporting. I mean, that's why that's why it feels like sort of a salutary measure to get the phone, especially when I was in in Turkey, even more so. Um. To, to set up interviews, nobody nobody would do those things over email. You had to do everything over the phone, which was I found very difficult. Over the phone and in person. Yeah, over the phone and in person. I mean, in person, you you want to meet in person eventually, but just the preliminaries have to all be on the phone. Um, what was the latest piece you did? Uh, the latest reported piece I did. Um, I think was about shipwrecks. It was about um, they uh, a subway was being a subway tunnel was being built under the Bosphorus, connecting Europe and Asia for the first time from a, from a subway. And they um, they uh, there were uh, a lot of studies to find out what was the place where they could dig in Istanbul, where they would find the fewest um, archaeological marvels or ruins that they would, you know, have to build around. So they decided to build it somewhere where they knew that there had been a harbor because they thought they wouldn't find anything there. And then because of the, you know, the chemistry and the way that the the weather and the way that the silt had formed, they ended up finding 30-something immaculately preserved Byzantine ships, and it turned into this huge excavation that lasted for years and years, and they found all kinds of other stuff. And um, so it's about all the things that they found and how they managed to do the... um, do the excavation anyway. And these 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 um, reporting duties you have for for the New Yorker mainly yes. are, are these are these subjects that ch- you choose on your own or? Uh, uh, usually, I choose. Sometimes they um, there have been a couple that that they suggested to me, but um, definitely the shipwrecks was something that I was interested in because I happened to see the site when I was there. Um, and and at the present time, in, in longer form, what are, what are you working on now, if you can say? Um, I'm working on, I'm finishing a novel, actually, um, and then I'm talking to the New Yorker about the next thing I'm going to write, which might be 
something related to pornography that that is something that I did not suggest that's coming to me from them where they there's something that they wanted covered and they said uh, well we we don't want a man to write about it <laughs> well you 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 know I can't not ask you about that <laughs> well I don't know if it's going to happen so I'm not sure if it's if I'm supposed well tell tell me something titillating um well it's a it's a review of a book that is um apparently taking the uh the very polarized and you know emotionally high currented subject of pornography and subjecting it to a kind of um rigorous academic passionless evaluation uh and that's what they want someone to say something goodness me goodness me i mean one one can imagine like an academic doing research and development on such a subject yeah and i think they want it by they want a woman to write about it because the idea is that women do not are not the primary consumers and so are maybe more able to write in this dispassionate way that they <laughs> i i must say to you elif i i don't know too much about the subject so i can't go on about it very much right. but i but i do know that there are some erotic pornographic movies that are made by women for women's consumption. Well, yeah, there's some statistic that I think is in a certain age group, I think like 18 to 24, one of these age groups the women outnumber the men of the, of the people who watch even the internet porn it, which we think of as being. It's interesting. It's interesting and um a, a, a general question I've I've been wondering about because I've been wondering so much, having recently spoken with Jhumpa Lahiri, uh, and and thinking about these things myself because I really I really don't know where I'm from and I often say I have you know several father tongues but no mother tongue. I'm wondering if being here in the United States feels to you like being at home. Oh man. That's so I'm, complicated. I'm so sorry. I'm I'm so sorry, and I, <laughs> I, 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 I feel that I, I or you or maybe both of us should just be lying on a couch and talking about this. And it's really, really horrendously unfair for me to ask such a question. <laughs> but 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 you know, Elif, I, 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 I'm just haunted by it, and I'm 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 just wondering what your off the cuff over the phone reaction to such a question could or might be i won't hold you to it well i think you're much more multilingual than me i feel i feel very rooted in english that's the language i feel the most comfortable in and no other language that i know i know a few and none of them even come close in comfort level including turkish which is my parents native language um i am living in new york i was born in new york and then uh grew up in New Jersey and then spent you know maybe 20 years just trying to get away as far as I could and just two years ago I came and I'm living in New York City for the first time and it does there is a certain sense that um I don't know if it matches some kind of memories that I have from when I was a kid or just that we see that New York is such a you know see it in movies or I, I don't even know where it comes from but there, it corresponds to some idea that I have of real life which other places that I lived did somehow did not correspond to so it feels somehow like it's kind of like going out and buying a phone like okay now I'm doing the, the adult thing that has to happen <laughs> yeah. eventually so in, in that sense it feels like home but in lots of other senses it feels very bizarre 
And I think it has a lot to do also with one's relationship, not only with 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 the language, but also with the language of one's parents and with one's relationship with one's parents. Yeah, definitely. I I know that, for instance, for Jhumpa Lahiri, the 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 complication and the elected, um, really the elected homeland being now Italy, has so much to do with her Bengali parents who came here, but who were longing at every possible moment to be elsewhere and so this 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 longing to be elsewhere which is really um in the true sense of the word a form of nostalgia you know nostos algos an ache for the country yeah and and in a way that ache for the country which in her mother's case was for for um for india in her case is a constructed and very productive a uh, form of nostalgia created and and in a way okay. n- nurtured for for Italy and i wonder if there is something of that nature in you or if you understand what what i'm saying and if it means something to you yeah definitely it does it um so before i this, my first book was about russian literature and it was about being it's called the possessed and it's about you know getting a phd in in russian part of that is about Um I realized I realized when I was having to do interviews for that book people would always ask why why the Russians and I would get very irritated because I thought that's what I wrote the whole book about and then I had a, a fake answer that I would give and then at some point I just realized it was it was true it was about the Cold War and this idea that my parents had chosen America and my parents were so um had so because most of us don't or I mean most people on earth don't look at a map of the world and choose where they're going to live you're born somewhere and you basically live there that that they had chosen America and that they wanted their their daughter their their kids to be um American and that the the only kind of counterpart to that in the world was the Soviet Union that that was the only thing that was as big and as strong and in the same terms as America that but it was different and i think that that fascination came from there and definitely the idea of being fascinated with a place and thinking of place in a certain way i think is fostered when when your parents are immigrants and then on top of that i had so it was very important to me i i wrote in the book about um when i would go to turkey at the time that i was studying russian and i would tell people about it everyone would be like why are you not like why are you not studying turkish literature and then my it was important to me that i wasn't that russian was something that i'd chosen because I was interested in the novel and the, you know, the three main cultures of the 19th century novel. I mean, of course there are a lot, but basically England, France and Russia and that Russia was the one that synthesized what I wanted to know about England and France and it 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 was just the, the perfect subject for for so many reasons and then you know, it was it was really important to me that you don't get to choose what you love it's something that comes to you from outside and if you're lucky enough to to get to pursue that thing then it would be stupid not to just because you were born with something else but then after sorry this is very long-winded but it's nearing the end no 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 don't i don't want it to end <laughs> i don't want it to end i want to be possessed by this 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 answer so and i want to i want to hear all the the justifications that invented and otherwise for for writing that book i i think this is fascinating so let me just now not talk and listen to you <laughs> okay um well so after after i wrote the possessed then uh 
I immediately um, got a job offer in Istanbul, and I I had never, my parents are not from Istanbul, it's a very different city from the rest of Turkey, and it was always in my head as somewhere that was interesting that I wanted to see. So I ended up going there, and then for the next three years, um, I was I was teaching at a university, but I also, I was by that point writing for the New Yorker, and I started covering stories in Turkey, and so I had this, this new period where suddenly everything that I was, was thinking about was about Turkey, and then it became this very weird, and I was there between 2010 and 2013, and 2013, various, the you know, the Gezi protests started, and, you know, journalists were starting to get arrested, and the, the government was becoming more authoritarian, and I would be on the phone with my parents who were constantly like, you know, <laughs> they didn't put it that way, but they were both constantly urging me to come home, and I could tell that they, they were like, you know, we didn't, we didn't uproot our lives and come to America like 30 whatever years ago so that you could get hit on the head with a tear gas canister in Istanbul. Like that's just not, so it was almost like I went and mirrored the same thing that, that they did and made the same kind of distance between them as they had made between their parents. Um, This was not the sacrifice we made for you, is what yeah, they were saying. Yeah, yeah, just like the irony of it was going to be really too much. They were like, this is the most unnecessary thing in the world is for you to be running around in Taksim Square with, like, riot police. It Just to them, it made no sense. But to me, it made no sense to leave then because it was such an interesting and, in a way, inspirational time to be there and to see, so you know, to really see promise of social change in a way that you don't necessarily get to see in America where, you know, capitalism is just on a slightly early, it just feels like the whole, like, historical dialectic is on a slightly earlier scale, and you can see things there that you couldn't see here, and it was just such an exciting time. I didn't, I didn't want to just leave to be, to be safe, you know?